Good evening, brothers and sisters. Um, 2 Timothy, chapter 1. If you could please turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy and chapter 1. Verse, no, not verse 1, verse 14. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 14. So this is our theme verse, and we'll read it once. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Now, if you will please turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. Verse 20. And we're going to start in the middle of that verse. When the angel starts talking. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now turn to the book of John, chapter 12. Verse 26. This is getting very close to when the Lord was crucified. Chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. And I'm going to repeat that last part of that uh, part that I just read. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. Now turn ahead two chapters to John chapter 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And I'm going to repeat that last half of verse 3, that where I am, there you may be also. John chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. And I'm going to read that last part again. Be with me where I am. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that you've given us four nights together, and Lord, this is our last night. I pray, Lord, that what you are speaking to us, uh, you will make it real in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that for every one of us in the situation that we are in, Lord, you have a word for us. Lord, for myself, to my brothers and sisters, Lord, we are all looking to you because we need you, Lord. So, Lord, we pray this evening as we open up your word together. And we share on this last night, Lord, have your way. Lord, speak to your people because we need to hear your voice. And Lord, we don't want uh, any, anything else. No impersonators, nothing that just sounds good and tickles our ears. Lord, we want that real word that can only come from you. Lord, that can change our life. So Lord, we worship you. Be honored tonight in our presence. And Lord, have again that throne of uh, authority and, uh, over this meeting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, um, a number of years ago, there was a very famous uh, leader of the nation of Israel. And if you remember this famous picture, President Clinton had his hand around one guy on his right and one guy on his left. And you know, in the Middle East, there's a great amount of hatred between the Israelites Uh, and the Palestinians. And uh, 
the most famous picture is when they all walked out together. You could tell the guy on the right, his name was Yitzhak Rabin. He was the um, prime minister of Israel. And the guy on the left, um, who was a leader of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, um, Yasser Arafat, they didn't like each other. And you could just tell. They were standing on both sides, and President Clinton was walking out in the middle. And President Clinton, at the end, they were all waving. President Clinton said hello, and then he basically took the two of them and he pushed them together to shake hands. And you could tell when he looked at their faces, they really did not want to shake hands. But they did. And you know, when they did this, what it earned them was the Nobel Prize. I mean, this one handshake of peace, a gesture of peace. Well, what ended up happening was, in, in the country of Israel, there are people who really hated the Palestinians. And so one of the Israeli citizens one day jumped in front of uh, Yitzhak Rabin and assassinated him. And he died. And um, they had a uh, funeral for him. And um, I always remember this. I remember so vividly. They had a funeral for him, and all of these heads of state were there. President Clinton, President George H.W. Bush, all of these famous people were all uh, lined up and everyone had something. Boris Yeltsin was there from Russia. And they all said something really wonderful about him, about what a trailblazer he was and how brave he was and courageous. He was a great man, a great, great man. And at the end of all of these famous people uh, sharing about him, I won't, I won't ever forget this. His granddaughter came up. And his granddaughter was just a 20-year-old girl. And she came up and she wrote a little letter to her grandfather. In the letter she said, Papa, which is how she said grandfather, she said, thank you that you held me at night when I couldn't go to sleep. Thank you for the stories that you used to tell me about our, our, uh, our ancestors. Thank you that when I was scared you were always there. And you know the impression that you got when you looked over the camera and you looked over at these famous presidents and dignitaries and said all these wonderful and true things about him. When he looked over, they were all in tears. And when you got this picture of all of these people who, who said all these things, the one thing you came away with was that everything that everyone said was true. But there was only one person in that whole group of people who really knew who he was. And it was his granddaughter. And you know, all these wonderful, grand things that were talked about, they sounded so good. But what brought everyone to tears was this young lady who had never been on TV before and was of no special consequence. But she knew something about him that was close and it was personal. Now, brothers and sisters, why do I share this story? These days, the theme of our conference is what God has entrusted to us. And on the first night together, we talked about a noble character. But you know, God has not entrusted to us a noble character. And he has not entrusted to us a noble calling. He has not entrusted to us a way of life. And on the second night together, we shared about the Lord who is a servant. But God has not entrusted to us a life of being a servant. He has not entrusted to us uh, the calling of being a servant or how to be a servant. And the third day, we talked about the Lord who suffered for us and gave his life for us. But he has not called us to a way of life. He hasn't called us to behave in any special way. And why am I saying this, brothers and sisters? Because I don't want you to be confused. He has not entrusted any of those things to us. No mission, no calling, no lifestyle. That is not what is entrusted to us. The Lord entrusted to us a person. And this person is the Son of God who loves you. And you know what? If you live your whole life and you live a life in which you live nobly. You do all of these honorable things. And you don't live in the world. And you cast away your love for the world. And you live very piously. And you die at the end of your days. But you don't know the Lord Jesus, the person. 
That's not what has been entrusted to you. Or if you live a life, your whole life, and you serve everyone around you, you give of yourself until you have nothing left to give, but you don't know the Lord, the person, you've missed the point. You see, brothers and sisters, what has been entrusted to us is a person. And I don't want you to miss that. We've talked about his noble character. We've talked about the fact that he really was a king. But when he came on this earth, we realized that he was not an earthly king because he had nothing that we would look at him and admire him. In fact, we would look at him and think, what a waste of a life. But you see, brothers and sisters, we believe in that person. And we believe in him. And that's his character and his nature. And if we believe in him, we hope that the more time we spend with him, the more that nature will rub off on us. But it is the person that we believe in. And servanthood. You serve your whole life, but you never know the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we, what has been entrusted to us is a person who served his whole life. And his life is a life of serving. And if we spend more and more time with him, we will take up that life. You know, sometimes I look at my son, and um, when uh, Aaron, my youngest, uh, does something wrong, you know, I, I, I'm pretty gentle with him because he's the third. You know, your first child, you're really hard on them. The second, you're a little bit nicer. The third one, you know, go ahead and play in the dirt. You'll be fine. You know, but uh, when my son Aaron makes a mistake, my son Matthew, he will say, Aaron, no. And I, I think to myself, I've seen that before. Where did he learn that? And my wife will say, you. Why are you always so mean? I, and, and the fact of the matter is my son has been near me so long that my personality and my life has rubbed off on him. I didn't have to give him a book and say, listen, when Aaron does something wrong, say no in this particular volume and this decibel and make this face at him. You know, he just saw me do it. And I'm not comparing myself to God because he doesn't do that. But, but my son learned this from being close to me. And so, brothers and sisters, what has been entrusted to us? A Lord, a personal Lord, who has a kingly nature, who has a servant's heart. And, brothers and sisters, yesterday night we talked about the fact that the Lord Jesus, he came as a child. And this is so important. He came as a child because he grew up and he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Now, why, brothers and sisters? I asked the question to you last night. Why didn't he just come as an adult? If he came as an adult and offered himself on the cross, he would have been just as perfect. And you know, his life was of just the same value. And you know, it would have paid for my sins. But why did in his wisdom and, and, his, and his genius come as a child? Because he knew one day that you and I, in the middle of the night, we would be worried about the future. Or we would be uncertain about what's coming. And he decided it in the Godhead. And he, I think he, he must have conferred with his Father and the Holy Spirit and decided, we're going to do it this way. Because one day, I'm going to be called upon to be the, their Lord in the dark of their room. When they have no idea where they're going, they don't know what tomorrow holds, they just blew it from yesterday, and they're totally lost. And if I have not gone through suffering, how could I possibly be their God of comfort? And so in his wisdom, he decided, I'm going to come in this way, and I'm going to go through these things. I'm going to be lonely, and I'm going to be made fun of, and I'm going to have no place. And the people are going to misunderstand things that I say. And people will not like me. And people will hate me. But I'm going to go through all those things. Because when my people call out to me in the future, my young people, when they call out, I will know how they feel. And when I tell them, you know what, I know how you feel, they'll believe me. Because, brothers and sisters, our Lord could not bear to be a God who's distant, distant from us. He doesn't want us to just give us a set of rules and back away and say, good luck and I'll see you when you die. That is not his personality. He wanted to be with you every day, every moment of your life, and whenever you fall, whenever you suffer, and whenever you fail. He will be there and he will say, you know what, I know how you feel. And so, brothers and sisters, he is the God of all comfort. He was also the man of sorrows. And we also said that the comfort 
is, is, is to comfort us during our temptations. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17? He said, when they suffer because of their temptations. And so he talked about the three temptations from the enemy. The temptation that you need to be independent. You know, your future, how can you trust it to God? This little life that's been implanted in you that will grow, is that enough? It couldn't possibly be enough. You need to take control of your own life so you can be who you think you should end up being. And you cannot possibly believe that the Lord will bring you there. That was the first temptation. The second temptation was he brought the Lord and showed him all of the riches of the world and said, and said to him, if you would just bow and worship me, you would have all of these things. And his point was, you know, just a moment ago when you were baptized, the father said, you know, this is my beloved son and I am in him. I am well pleased. But the enemy was saying, but you aren't enough. He is well pleased with you, but you know, you're not enough. You know, you should decorate yourself with the world. Take some of what the world has. It'll make you a complete person. Because, brothers and sisters, the enemy is saying what God wants of you and who God has made you to be is not enough. You have to have a little bit of the world sprinkled in so you'll be good enough. And that temptation is so strong. And every one of us who has fallen to that. Yesterday I told you that, brothers and sisters, if you counted up your sins and you counted up mine, I promise you, I, I, if I were a betting man, I would bet every dollar that I have that I have sinned more than you. How do I know that? Because I'm older than you. And the more time that we have lived on this earth, the more we have sinned. I know that this is a fact. I found out, thankfully, that my brother Scott is five months older than I am. And so he and I together for sure have more, have sinned more than you. We would be the first to admit it. The more time we have lived on earth, the more we have sinned. And with the more that we have fallen... But you know, the wonderful thing is, I have a Lord who understands. He knows what it is to be tempted. And so uh, the third temptation, brothers and sisters, was, um, perhaps we should look at it again, is Luke chapter 4. The third temptation, he said, you know, I, have, I want to read this right. He will give his angels charge concerning to guard you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So he quoted the Bible. And said, could this possibly be true? Could it possibly be true what the Bible says about, about God protecting you? So why don't you just test it? Jump off and see if it's true. Because, brothers and sisters, he wants you to believe, is it possible that God could love you so much? Is it possible that he could protect you every day of your life? Is it possible that he could forgive you for that one sin that you keep committing over and over again and asking for forgiveness and you sin and you... You sin, and then you ask for forgiveness, and you sin, you ask for forgiveness. Every time is his blood enough. Is that possible? But the answer we know, brothers and sisters, is yes, it is possible, and yes, it is true, and the grace of our Lord is enough for every sin that I've committed today and for my whole life, and praise the Lord. But the enemy wants us to think, no way. You have to fix yourself up. Before you go to the Lord's table on Sunday, and they put that bread in that cup, you better do some sort of penance. You know, you have to make up. Go five days without sending that sin, and then you can take that cup. We've all heard this before. That whisper in your ear, you're not good enough to take that cup. And you are not good enough to take that bread. But brothers and sisters, that bread and that cup is given to you. It's served to you by the person who gave his life. He said, sit in this meeting. This is my body broken for you. For you. Take this in remembrance of me. And this is the blood of my, the covenant in my blood. This is shed for you. Take it. He is inviting you. And the enemy is saying it couldn't possibly be true. Brothers and sisters, these three temptations will be with you your whole life. But you know you have a Savior who understands. And so we thank the Lord. Now today we get to the book of John. We did Matthew, the kingly nature. Mark the servant's nature, Luke, the man of sorrows. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to misunderstand. It's not that it just discusses the king in Matthew or just discusses the uh, servant in Mark or just discusses the um, um, uh, man of sorrows in Luke. Um, there's a little bit sprinkling of it everywhere. So in the book of Matthew, there's really a wonderful uh, phrase. Now, um, have you all ever watched um, the president get introduced to 
Congress at the State of the Union? You know, there's a guy who can really yell really loud. Um, maybe one of you can yell really loud. Um, and he comes in first and he says, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States. And they start playing Hail to the Chief. I think that's the name of the song. And the president walks in, he shakes everyone's hand, he goes up to the podium. And brothers and sisters, before the Lord was um, born, there was an announcement made about him. It was kind of an interesting story. You see, because um, back then, uh, if you were engaged to be married and you found out that your wife was pregnant and you know that, well, it must have been something else that happened, you know, you as a husband had the right to throw the first stone to kill your fiance. That was just the rule back then. And you know, Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. And so by all the rules, he had the right, and not only the right, but the responsibility to take the first stone and throw the first stone. But Joseph loved God. And I don't know what happened before this, but Joseph was struggling. And one day the angel showed up. And the angel says to him, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been born in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph takes her, and the angel says, and we should read it again, Matthew chapter 1, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this last song that we sang, Emmanuel, it is a 30-year-old song. So I think a lot of you weren't familiar with it. But when I grew up, it was my favorite song, and I don't really know why. I'm not sure I really understood it. But I can tell you this, that there were many nights. It's a very precious song to me. There were very ni- many nights when I was little. When I was having, I was very scared of nightmares when I was little. I mean, very, very little. And, uh, but I had, I had accepted the Lord. And you know, at night when I couldn't sleep, I would sing that song to myself. And the song is so familiar to me. Every time I hear it, I sort of uh, choke up a little bit. Because I would fall asleep in peace. Because that line, God with us. And, you know, one day, Matt, uh, when he was little, um, he was having a nightmare. And so I, I, he was crying. So I went to his bed and I said, Matt, you know, when Daddy was small um, and I had a nightmare, I sang this song. So I'm just going to sing it for you. And I sang that song to him and, uh, and he fell asleep. You know, it, brought, it brings peace to my heart. But brothers and sisters, what does Emmanuel mean that's so precious? You know, before the Lord came... When was it possible that God could be with man? When was the last time that God could be with man in peace? It was back in Genesis. It was before the fall. Now that was a long time. It was a long time for man, but you know it was a long time for the Lord. Because his dream in his heart was to have a people who loved him, who uh, were his, uh, his home. But it was so long because God with man could not possibly be because we sinned. And you know, the Lord is perfectly righteous and he cannot even come close to any type of sin. But brothers and sisters, for so long, this word Emmanuel could not be uttered. No one could go by that name until that great day when this child was conceived and married. And the angel said, this Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, I am not certain, brothers and sisters, if there is a sweeter name in all of the world than this name. It basically tells us that a perfectly righteous God who hates sin could come again to be with men who are filled with sin. And the only reason was all of our sins have fallen on him and he paid it all. And so now when we come before him, what is the punishment for what we have done? paid to the last cent. The Bible tells us that that list of of, uh, allegations against us was nailed to the cross 
paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. And so brothers and sisters is such a wonderful name, Emmanuel. And um, the reason that I'm sharing this with you tonight is because the book of John tells us about the Son of God and that the Son of God came for a purpose. And the purpose is in his name, Emmanuel, God with men. That was his purpose. His purpose was not that I would teach them how to live a good life or I would teach them how to live a servant's life or I would teach them how to live a noble life or I would teach them how to be good or even sinless. He came so God could be with men. Everything that we have shared about for three days, there have been many things about nobility and servanthood and sorrows, but they're all nothing without the the Lord himself, our King, our Savior, our Lord. That person is who has been entrusted to us. And so, brothers and sisters, on this last day, as we talk about the Son of God, we have to remember that he came for a purpose. It wasn't on accident, and it wasn't so he could start a movement, and it certainly wasn't so he could start a religion. You know, they ask the question, where are the bones of all the great religious leaders? We know where the bones of Muhammad lie. We know where all the bones of the Buddha uh, lie or Confucius. We know where all the bones are. But people always say, where are the bones of the Lord Jesus? Because no one knows where the bones are because he resurrected and he's alive and he lives for us. And so, brothers and sisters, the point is this. We could know all of these facts and truths. We could memorize the Bible. We could live a good life. But without that living touch from the living Savior, we miss his purpose. His purpose is in his name, Emmanuel. You know, in the Chinese language, what's really I really love is that uh, Chinese names, uh, when parents give it, they think about it for a long time. And they give a Chinese name that has a purpose to it or a hope. Um, my three boys have, have, have names that my father picked with a purpose. I have a name. My name evidently sounds like breastfeeding. So whenever, um, and I don't speak Chinese practically at all, and so when I uh, was little, people would read my name tag and people would make fun of me. And I have no idea why they're making fun of me because I didn't understand what they were saying. But it actually means held close to the heart. And my mom picked it because it's actually from the Bible. And, you know, if I spoke Chinese a little bit better, I might have been traumatized by it, but thank the Lord I don't. So I never understood. But there was a purpose to my name. And so this name, Emmanuel, it was given with a purpose. It speaks of his purpose. And so I don't want you, brothers and sisters, to be distracted. We are not talking about a lifestyle. And we are not talking about a way of living. We are talking about a life. Now, why is this so important? Now, I have to tell you a little bit about myself. I grew I was born in Pasadena, California. Do you know where that is? It's in Southern California where they have the Rose Bowl at a hospital called Huntington Memorial Hospital. And um, my father and mother are both Christians. And I grew up in a Christian family. And I learned from a very young age, I was brought to church. And I learned all the right things to say and how to do everything. But I cannot say that I was a Christian. If any of you are like me, when I was in junior high and high school, I was still struggling. I didn't know what to believe in. Do you know, you have to struggle with this decision. The Lord does not want anyone to just take something that someone else says as truth. He desires for you to learn. He desires for you to get to know him and make your own decision. There's a little thing that people say, there's no such thing as a heavenly grandfather. And what that means is, just because your parents believe doesn't mean that you are saved. And so the question that I have to ask you tonight, brothers and sisters, is you who have grown up in a Christian family, have you ever accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Accepting him as your Savior is to say, Lord, I believe that you came to this earth and you gave your life for me. And all of my sins you paid for me on the cross. And from now on, you will be my Lord. 
That's what it means. It's not to say, you know what, I'm going to accept this way of life. And I'm deciding that I'm going to go to church every Sunday. And I'm going to go to Bible study on Friday night. And I'm going to go to prayer meeting on Tuesday. I'm going to make sure on Sunday that I wear a tie. I'm going to make sure that my shoes, laces are tied. And that uh, my belt matches with my shoes. You know, which is, I guess you're supposed to do. Brothers and sisters, it's none of these things. To accept the Lord is a personal decision. And so what I would like for you to do is you have to ask your question at this moment. Have I ever accepted you, Lord, as my Savior? It's not enough that I've been to church for so many years and listened to so many sermons and listened to so many uh, 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 messages and gone to so many meetings. It's not those things. It's nothing to do with those things. You have to ask yourself right now, and no matter what age you are, have I ever accepted you, Lord, as my Savior And later today, we're going to give you the chance to do that if you haven't. Now, we read three times in the book of John, as time went on, three times the Lord gave a secret to what was in his heart. You know, within the last five hours before he was betrayed, he gathered all of his disciples together, and the Lord was so distraught. It was like he held all these secrets into the last minute, and he had five hours left. And so they got together, it was the Passover, and they had this last supper. And they gathered in a room, the upper room. And back then, you know, the tables, you didn't sit at a table, you reclined at a table. So he laid down at the table, and uh, John was laying on the Lord's bosom. And John was the one who wrote this book, and he wrote it all down. And the Lord, it was like at the very end, he let out everything that was in his heart. Five hours left to talk to these that I love. I have to let them know these last couple of things. And, and kind of scattered through there, he literally repeated three times that you would be with me where I am. Be with me where I am. Where I am, be with me. He said it three times, and everything else he said surrounded those three times. Be with me where I am. We read them already, and I hope you jotted them down as proof to yourself. This is what he wanted. He didn't in his last effort say, make sure to remember, you know, that you're supposed to, you know, make sure the chairs were lined up right on Sunday or that you get to church on time. Or He didn't say those things at the end. What he said over and over again was that you would be with me where I am. Why? Because the Lord treasures us. Everything in his heart has to do with the house. His, he treasures us. His thoughts everything that he did when he walked on the earth, his purpose. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when all the weight of the world was coming down on him, and all of the the greatest moment of temptation in all of history swirled around him, he could not give in. He could not decide, forget about the cross, because he loves us, and we are his treasure. And so he thought about us, he thought about us, and he lived for us. And so at the end, for these last five hours, over and over again, he said that you would be with me where I am. Brothers and sisters, this was a secret in his heart. He kept repeating it. Why? Because of all the things that were important, he knew this oneness with him was so crucial. And if we read it carefully, we have to. Let's turn back to them again. One by one, we'll see that there's a little difference in all of them with the same thought. Let's turn to... um, Does anyone have it written down in front of them? I think it was John chapter 12, verse 26. This first time, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to one person. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. And so he's saying he's speaking to one person who serves him. Now, brother, sister, remember two days ago we said, How do you serve him? When do you serve him? You know, we can serve him at any age. You right now, right now, no matter how old you are, you can serve him. And that service doesn't necessarily have to be like you think. You don't have to write a message and come stand in front of people or learn to play the guitar. That service can be in your home, like we shared. When that that young man who was paralyzed and his friends lowered him down from the ceiling, the Lord raised him up. And gave him a specific and crucial instruction. Go home. 
Why? Because, brothers and sisters, you can serve the Lord in your home. Serve your parents. Serve your brothers. Your bratty sister or your brother who bugs you. Serve them. It is your chance to serve. And here it reads, if anyone would be my servant, that's you guys. You know, not a great servant who preaches around the world. It's you and me, no matter how young we are. If anyone be my servant, servant where I am, there, there shall my servant also be. You see, his intention for us who serve him is that we would be with him. It's not that we go out and serve and forget about him. Get so busy with all this stuff that we're doing, but we forget him. There were two sisters named Mary and Martha, and they were wonderful. The first time the Lord met them, they came into, he came into her house, their house, and Mary just sat there. And Martha was all busy getting ready with the, you know, the little donuts and the cupcakes and whatever they did in Israel. And, um, and, uh, uh, and Mary just sat there. And Martha said, you know, Lord, can you tell my sister to come help me? Because I'm doing all this stuff. And the Lord said, you know, Martha, Martha, you are busy with many things. But Mary has chosen the better part. Sit there. Now, that doesn't mean that one day Mary didn't get up to serve, because I'm sure that she did. But you know, He is why we serve. Don't ever forget. He is why we serve. And the Bible tells us here, where I am, there shall my servant also be. He wanted for you and me to be close to him. That was his interest. One person close to him. John chapter 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, I should start in, for this passage from verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. See, the, the disciples were totally confused. Lord, why are you speaking with such urgency? And where are you going? And he said to them, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Brothers and sisters, this was meant to comfort them. Now, can I ask you a question? Have you ever... Have you ever been so lost? And one day, in the middle of the night, a song came into your head that all of a sudden you realized that the Lord Jesus was with you. And you know, all of a sudden, every worry is lifted up. You know, this is a very real experience of the Lord. Far more real than if you were to serve for thousands of hours in some way like Martha. This one experience is so real. Have you ever been so worried, sick, even about a test that was coming up you knew you weren't ready for, or someone who has fallen ill, or I hope that this is not true, but if your mother or father was diagnosed with a difficult diagnosis, or your grandfather or grandmother, brothers and sisters, to call out to him, and have him bring peace to your heart is the most real experience of the living God. And when you find that to be real, you know your life will have purpose. You could serve till you're blue in the face with no energy left. And that would never replace that really true calling out to him when you were afraid. You know, my sons, when we pray at night, do you know what Matthew always asked me to pray for? Daddy, please pray for no bad dreams. Why? I mean, I don't pray for that for myself. But to my son, that's his whole life. I don't want to have bad dreams. And so we pray. And it's the realest thing to him. You know, you might think that's so small. You know, if you think that, brothers and sisters, you're wrong. To him, it's his whole life. What's your whole life? Do you think it's too small? Would some other brother tell you that's such a small thing? You know, to the Lord, it's not a small thing. Because my, my son tells me, you know, Daddy, at night... When I get scared and I pray, I don't have bad dreams. And then he told me something really amazing. He said, you know, when I have a bad dream and I pray, I wake up. 
you know what? This is real life. It's real life to a seven-year-old boy. What's real life to you? And if some other brother or sister tells you, you know, that's not important, you never, the things that you tell the Lord are between you and him. And no one is to judge your relationship with your Lord. You tell him. There are certain things that are only between you and your Lord. There are things that I don't tell my wife. I don't tell anybody. They are between me and my Lord. And most of them are things I'm just too embarrassed to tell anybody else. But you know, I'm thankful that he knows. He, he values those things. So brothers and sisters, uh, this story here was about people who were worried. And the Lord said, I'm going to be with you where you are. Be comforted. And so this is so real. John chapter 17, verse 24. This was the last prayer the Lord uttered before um, he was betrayed with the, with the disciples. He says from verse 22, And the glory which thou hast given me I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love them, even as thou didst love me. Father, Verse 24, here's the key. Father, I desire that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. Now, who is he talking about in this passage? It's not just one. He's talking about his people, the church. He's saying that the church, she would be with me where I am. All of us together. You know, brothers and sisters, we are all linked together. No matter our age, our hobbies, you know, We are all linked together. Do you know that you have friends at your school who are believers? And they may be from a whole host of different backgrounds. They may do things all in different ways. They may stand when they sing. They may sit when they sing. They may uh, wear a thing on their head when they pray. They may wear mohawks. There are brothers and sisters who are of every different color, of every different background. But you know there are people out there who love the Lord. And they are brothers and we are all knit together. And one day the Lord will say, my church, she will be with me where I am. Now in this little prayer that he made is his whole heart. This is what he is longing for. That his bride, the church, would be made ready. Spotless. And that she would come into his arms and just be with him where he is. This is a corporate, corporate prayer that he made for all of us, that we together would be with him where he is. It's it's a secret of his purpose. So, brothers and sisters, the Son of God was about to return to God. He knew it. He knew that it was coming. And these last couple hours, he said it over and over again, that they would be with me where I am. And so, brothers and sisters, I really want to emphasize on this last night that all of the things that we've shared about, they have nothing to do with a way of living. They have nothing to do with a rule book of right things to say and when to say them. We have been sharing about what has been entrusted to us, a person and the secret in his heart. Now, brothers and sisters, why is this so important? You know, sometimes I think that young people We think that to follow the Lord is like floating on air. You know, you feel so wonderful. And you just float on air. You know, like a feather. Just floating. But I promise you, brothers and sisters, when the hurricane comes, that feather will be long gone. Gone. What does the Bible tell us? We need to build our house on the rock. Do you know this song, uh, Don't Build Your House on the Sandy Land? I always... I love the song. I'm not going to sing it, but it's a kid's song. And the point of it is, you build your house on the rock. Now, what does that mean? Brothers and sisters, at all times, it, much better than floating around with these wonderful thoughts and feelings and bubbling up and down, what's much better is you get your knees and you put them on the solid rock. And you get your hands and you put them on the solid rock. And you're always grounded down to the, to the Lord. When you pray, you have your knee, your heart bowed before him. And your hands are on the solid stone 
Christianity, brothers and sisters, is real life. It is when you are down, when you are at school, when you are studying. It's when you are taking a shower, when you're washing the dishes. It's real life. It's not just when you're listening to a really wonderful worship song or, uh, I don't know what else, floating on air. You know, sometimes you get that sense in your heart of being lifted up. But it's very different from just floating around. We are, that we are told in the Bible, have this practical, real grounding on a foundation of God. He is a person. He's not just a feeling. He is a person. And brothers and sisters, I tell you, many times in the darkest, worst times, you may not feel him. What's going to happen when we don't feel him? And the enemy comes knocking. We're not going to have any hope if it's just a feeling. Brothers and sisters, faith says, my feet are planted on a ground that the Lord Jesus already won. And you know what? I promise you, when that time comes, the enemy begins to tempt you. You say a prayer. Lord, I may not feel you, but I know you are there. And I cannot withstand this temptation anymore. So, Lord, I cast myself into your hands. I promise you, he will be there. Not only will he be there, but if that happens enough, you will feel him again in a very real way. Because, brothers and sisters, to be a Christian is real life, practical, grounded. And I want for you all to go home. And when difficult times come, you find that solid footing where you stand. You know, no amount of, now, don't get me wrong, praising the Lord is a wonderful blessing. But if all we live for is Sunday when we get to praise the Lord, what's going to happen from Monday to Saturday? You know, what about schoolwork? Could it possibly be that the Lord gave us something where we're supposed to go away from him for eight hours a day and then come back? The Lord would never allow that to happen. So when you're in school, he is still with you. Being a Christian is practical and grounded to be with him where I am. And so, brothers and sisters, um, let's look at, to finish off, I just want to mention three stories where we can, might get confused about being with him where he is. The first, they're all from John. So we're going to look at the first one. It's John chapter uh, uh, 2, I think. 1, I'm sorry. John chapter 1. Now this is when the Lord first came out. And you know John the Baptist was at work. And John was really a great, phenomenal man of God. Uh, the Bible tells us there's no one like him. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked upon Jesus as he walked. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. They came, therefore, and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that night, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Now, brothers and sisters, something happened that night. They had been disciples of John's, a great teacher who said wonderful things. And one day they saw the Lord Jesus and John said, Behold the Lamb of God. So Andrew and his friend, we don't know who that was, they went up to him and said, Rabbi, no, 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 I'm sorry, I got it wrong. First, the Lord said, what do you seek? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? I wonder if they were a little nervous, I don't know. And the Lord said, come and you will see. And they stayed with him one night. And they probably saw how he was, asked him some questions, had a meal with him maybe. The Lord probably served them. How do we know that? Because he was always serving. And then the next day, what did Andrew do? He went and found Simon and said, Simon, we found the Messiah. Something happened that night that changed his name from Rabbi to Messiah. What was it? It was that they came in contact with him. And they lived with him for just one night. The real and living God they came in touch with. And you know, that little touch changed everything. And so, brothers and sisters, 
You know what? No matter how great a teacher we have. Now, John the Baptist was the greatest teacher. No matter how great a teacher, how he opens our eyes, how we see things about God that we didn't see before. Nothing replaces spending one night in the presence of the Lord. John could have probably gave the best message anyone has ever heard. And we would have thought, wow, what a wonderful message. But you know, the disciples left him and went with the Messiah because they spent one night with the living God. So, brothers and sisters, what's the lesson here? When we come near to him, it cannot be that we worship a great speaker or a great mission or a great work. There are many great speakers and many great missions and many great works. There's only one Messiah. And so, brothers and sisters, these were disciples of John's. But when they spent one night with the living God, their whole lives were changed. So, brothers and sisters, you may be in a fellowship where you really do have a wonderful, gifted speaker. And you love listening. But what happens one day when that speaker is taken to the Lord? Then what? Will the fellowship fall apart? Or young people who meet together because of a speaker or a singing songs. What happens when that brother leaves? Does everything fall apart? Brothers and sisters, the living God is the most important thing. And we must worship Him and get to know Him. Founded on a solid rock. The second example. Let's turn forward just a couple of chapters. Um, actually, this is a, kind of a long one. This is chapter 4. I'm going to have to tell you this story because it's, a lo- it's 40 verses. I can't read all 40 verses. Um, this is what happens. They were in an area of, of the world called uh, Samaria. Now, Jews and Samaritans... They don't talk. Jews thought Samaritans were not really good people and not worth their time. And so they were there, and the disciples went to get some food because they were hungry. And the Lord was sitting at a well, and a woman comes to draw water. And the Lord uh, says to her, can you get me a drink? And um, the, the woman says, well, how is it you're a Jew and you're talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. I thought you would think of me as filthy. And the Lord says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then they strike up this whole conversation. And the Lord says to her, go call your husband and come here. And she says, I don't have a husband. And then the Lord says, you're right, because you've had five husbands and the one that you are with right now is not your husband. Basically, the Lord knew that she was in sin. And adultery, maybe having an affair, we don't know. I mean, that is worthy to be stoned. But you know the Lord, the Lord has a very amazing gift that none of us have. He has the gift of being able to point out in our hearts what we are doing wrong. And somehow when he does that, we feel better. You know, if I were to tell you, you're doing this wrong. Or if one of you, and this has happened to me before, comes up to me after the message and says, you know what, you said this wrong, or I disagree with you, or I think you were too flippant about this passage. You know, I've been very, when people have said that about me, I'm very polite, but when I go home, I'm crushed. I'm a human, and I feel so bad. But you know what's so wonderful about the Lord? He has told me many times what you said, that was wrong. And somehow, I kind of feel better afterwards. It's a very, very special thing about our Lord. When I first started speaking at a, at a fellowship in San Diego, every time I spoke, I was supposed to speak every three weeks. The third week when I would speak, I'd have to apologize for something I said three weeks ago because the Lord pointed out to me, he said that wrong. And I'd say, it. but you know, the nice thing about our Lord is he will do that throughout our life. But like he did to this woman, he can say it in a way, and you know he loves you. Why? If you ever doubt it, just look back at the cross. He loves you. And he might point out certain things. Well, he does that to her. And then she goes and she tells this, the people at the city, you know, I met this guy. He told me everything that I have done. Could he be the Messiah? And so they invite him over for two days now. The first day was one day. Now it's two days. And then the people in the city say something really wonderful. They say in verse 42, uh, in verse 41, actually in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. 
And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. So, brothers and sisters, what's the point? You know, it's not enough to depend on someone else's experience of God. Maybe your uh, youth group leader, or maybe your mother or father, or maybe your brother or sister or your best friend. You know, brothers and sisters, at some point you have to invite him in and get to know him. And when we get to know him, we can say, you know, it's no longer what someone else told me. Now I have met him. And brothers and sisters, this is so important. Be with me where I am. It was his purpose. The last story, John chapter 9. Again, this is a little bit of a longer story. And so I'm just going to tell you what happens. Uh, There was a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked the Lord, Lord, who sinned that this man would be blind? Was it he himself or did his parents do something wrong? And so his kid, their kid was afflicted. And the Lord said, you know, it was neither that this man sinned nor that his parents sinned. But why is he blind? It was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is a wonderful line. Brothers and sisters, why do we go through difficulties? We might know that we are going through a difficulty because something we did that was just wrong. We sinned and there was a result. And we might look at it and say, you know, I know I did something wrong. But the Lord has a different intention. These things that have happened to us are so that the works of God might be displayed in your life and in my life. What difficulty are you going through right now? And why are you going through it? Is it just punishment on you? What the Lord is saying, it's not. It's happening because he wants to show his work in your life. And so, brothers and sisters, what happens is he meets up with this man and he kind of, I'm just going to tell you the truth, he spits on the ground, the Lord. And he makes clay out of it and he puts it on the guy's eyes. And then he tells the guy, go wash in this pool that's called Siloam. And uh, come, and you'll come back. Uh, no, and, and that's all he said. He says, just go wash in this pool called Siloam. So the guy goes and washes. And when he washes, he, all of a sudden he can see. The problem was, he didn't know where the Lord went. He heard his voice, but the Lord told him to go someplace else. So some people led him over there. He washed the clay off, and all of a sudden he could see. But he didn't know where the Lord was. And so what happened, uh, the problem was, it was uh, the Sabbath. Now, you know, on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do anything. And the Lord made clay, so he broke all the rules. And so this man came out, and he went back to where he was before, because I think he was looking for the Lord. And, he's saying, and people were saying, is that the guy who couldn't see? And some said, no, it couldn't be. It just looks like him. He said, no, 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 I think it's him. And everyone was talking about it, and finally someone, the Pharisees got involved and said, what happened? And they said, Someone made clay and put it on my eyes, and I could see. And then the Pharisees said in verse 16, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. For how can a man, um, but the others were saying, How can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? And so they actually started asking everyone, Is this the guy really? Because they couldn't believe it. They finally went and got his parents. And the parents said, This is our son. And yes, he was born blind. And, they, and then the Pharisees were trying to ask him some tough questions. And, and they said, well, why don't you go ask himself? He's, he's old enough. Just go ask him. Because they were scared of them. The parents were scared. The Pharisees were so powerful. And they hated the fact that the Lord was doing things on the Sabbath. So they got the guy in. And they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And this is what he answered. He had not even seen the Lord yet. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Now, brothers and sisters, what is this a story about? This is a story about what everyone else is saying is right and wrong, following all the rules of being a Christian, doing everything the right way, everything the religious, all the religious rules but never seeing the Lord Jesus. And then here is one man. I don't know anything about him, he says. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is I had been blind, 
and now I see. Now, brothers and sisters, what will change your life? You go to all the, learn, the uh, training meetings in the whole world. You learn, you go to all, get all the graduate degrees you want, and a PhD, and an MD, and every single degree you want. You get everything. What will change your life is that the Lord touches you in some real way that where you are blind, then you see. And then this guy said, I don't know anything else. All I know is I once was blind, and now I see. Because, brothers and sisters, what does this speak of? It speaks of that they would be with me where I am. And so later on, what happens is they get in a big argument, and he actually gets excommunicated. He tells them, this guy's pretty brave, the blind guy. Not, not blind anymore. He says to the Pharisees, do you guys want to be his disciples too? And they get all mad. They say, you know, we're disciples of Moses. And then they, say, and they cast him out. And um, so he gets cast out. And he's walking around. Um, and he, then the Lord found him. But he didn't recognize his face because he's never, see, he's never seen anyone before. I mean, he didn't know what people looked like. And the Lord comes up to him and the Lord says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answers and he says to him, Sir, uh, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? The Bible here reads Lord, but it's a different word in the original. It means sir. Sir, uh, that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And then he says, Lord, the real Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. See, brothers and sisters, the Lord will touch us in some way even before we know him. And he will touch us in some real way. And then he'll come to us and say, this is who I am. Face to face. Not based on what someone else has told us. Not based on a great amount of teaching. Not based on a whole lot of uh, uh, studying from a book. Face to face. And he said, Lord. It changed from sir to Lord. I believe. And he worshipped him. You know, this worship, it was out without song and without action. I don't know, he might have bowed down. But the Bible says he worshipped him. And it was a real worship. The Lord had touched his life. And he had come in contact with the living God. And it was no longer all of the Sabbaths and all of the rules. And you weren't supposed to make clay on the Sabbath. He came face to face with a person who had touched his life in a real way. Brothers and sisters, what has been entrusted to you? Who has been entrusted to you? There's a little bit, if you have accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, there's a little bit of that life that is yearning to grow in your heart. And I think that if everyone in this room, if that life grows up, you guys will bring such a blessing and a blessing to the name of the Lord. His heart will be lifted up. And so, brothers and sisters, what has been entrusted to you? Something of great value. When you go home, what is going to happen? The enemy is going to make every effort to steal that back. He's going to make it so that you fall back into old habits and old sins. He will make it so that you forget. Brothers and sisters, cling to him. He's real. It's real life. What has been entrusted to you? The living God who lives in your heart. And when you go home, brothers and sisters, how can you cling? Pray. Pray and pray. He will stay close. And the other thing to do, cling to each other. Now, I, the first night I asked you all to raise your hands if you were from different parts of the country. And we had people from all over the United States. I realized I forgot to ask if anyone was from Vancouver. Did I ask if people were from Canada? I might have. But there are, there are always going to be brothers and sisters with you. Pray together and grow together. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you because uh, you uh, desired from the very beginning that a people would come and live near to you. And I thank you, Lord, that you have called us out. Lord, those of us who were wretched and miserable 
and blind. But Lord, you called us out and you gave us life and you gave us hope. Lord, I worship you. And I know that my brothers and sisters here will will go home to multiple difficulties and attacks from the enemy. I pray, Lord, that you would guard them because I know how much you love them. So, Lord, we entrust ourselves into your hands as you have entrusted a little of your life to us. Thank you, Lord, for this precious gift. Lord, may it be that, that your life in us would grow. Now, Lord, there's a group of people here before you tonight. Lord, I pray for them. And, Lord, as I invite them to stand up, I pray, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified and know that they are standing for you. Brothers and sisters, with our eyes closed, I would like to ask if there is anyone in this room who wishes to live this coming year in the company of our Lord, would you please stand and keep your eyes closed. Now, Lord, there is a room here with people who are standing before you because, Lord, we find that you are worthy. And we want, Lord, for you to know that we are standing here to tell you that we want to live for you this coming year. So, Lord, honor our request. And, Lord, we pray that you will be glorified in our lives. Brothers and sisters, please have a seat. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, thank you for um, giving me the chance to come and share with you. I just have a couple of announcements. Um, There's going to be a Singspiration tonight at 925. Um, And it's going to be across the hall in the, um, uh, I forgot the name of the room. Uh, I think it's called the...